It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, the Braves offense is rolling. Will this be a trend? And has Rosario done enough to secure left field? It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Hitting hard as part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH 316. Well, fair to say that the Braves offense is rolling as they win seven to six yesterday in Cincinnati. Take two out of three from the red hot Reds, right? When they had won Friday night, the Reds had set their franchise or tied at least their franchise record for most wins ever. Most wins ever. Not not the not the big red machine, not the nasty boys, not anything like that. It's from the 1950s. And they won 12 in a row. Braves took the series on Saturday and Sunday, all run, all one run games. I can, if I can't speak right. Um, and obviously the Braves offense is rolling. So here's where the Braves are at right now. Okay. Through 77 games, they are on pace to score 901 runs. Now, why is that significant? Okay. Because the modern day era, forget all of the 19th century stuff. So, we're not counting 1895 and 1990, you know, 1897. Let's start with 20th century moving forward. The gold standard has always been that 2003 Braves team, right? Chipper in left, Andrew in center, Gary Sheffield in right, Vinny Castilla played third base, Marcus Giles had a monster year, Rafael Fercal was a monster, and Javi Lopez had the 40 homer season, right? We all remember that team. And that's the famous team that ran up against Pryor and Wood and didn't do anything. And Leo's famous saying, you know, well, anything can happen in short series. Okay. I don't want to forget. I don't remember all that. But anyway, um, that was the gold standard offensively for the Braves. And believe it or not, they scored, that team scored 907 runs. This year's version is on pace to score 901. So, the top three marks in the modern-day era of baseball, 20th century and beyond. 907 for the 2003 Braves, 855 for the 2019 club, and 849 for the 2006 club. And you look at the offensive production that this team is getting. Matt Olson is on pace for 50-plus homers and 120-plus uh, runs driven in. Sean Murphy's on pace for 25 homers and somewhere between 85, 90 RBI. Ozzie Albies is on pace for another 30-plus homer, 100-plus RBI season. Even guys like Rosario, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, look, they're on pace for over 25 homers, 75 to 80 RBI. So you're getting kind of, Ronnie, I mean, forget about it, you know, 130 runs, 
30 plus homers, 70 steals, 100 runs driven in. Forget about it. He's the he's the he's so far and away the MVP of the National League that it's really not even a con. I don't even know. Is there anybody who's even second right now to Ronnie? But think about it like this. And we've talked about this a lot on the program. Look, the Braves had plenty of injuries to their positional players. It's not just been their, you know, uh, pitching staff that has had injuries. And we just saw Schmidt Sharver, you know, be sent down to the minors, probably opening up a spot for Michael Soroka. But it's been the offense as well, right? Rosario's missed time. Michael Harris missed time. You know, guys have missed, you know, games over the course of this season offensively. Obviously, Travis Darnot missed a whole bunch of time. So when you look at what this team could potentially be, I mean, this might be the highest scoring team in modern day Braves history. Now, again, they're pretty close. They're on the pace that they're on is pretty close. And look, they've got, they ran a gauntlet in their schedule in the first half of this year. When you look at what April and May, you know, set up for the Braves and what's it, what's ahead of them and June, obviously, leveled back out. We've talked about this a lot on the show that June was going to be moving month for the Atlanta Braves, that they were, that they were playing a lot of last place teams and probably some pitching staffs that weren't very good, but whether the Braves have played good teams or bad teams or whatever, Braves have been outstanding offensively. That's been the one constant is that with their pitching kind of being up, down, sideways, this, that, and the other, the Braves offense has been outstanding and guys are having monster years. Again, Olsen's on pace for 50 homers this year. Ronnie's on pace for 35 to 40 homers this year. Ozzy's on pace for, you know, what, 36, 35 homers this year. So you have a lot of these guys that, and and if Arcia can keep things going the way that he has, and he missed a whole bunch of time this year. Like, there's been a lot of games missed for the Braves' offense besides just their pitching staff that there's no reason to think that this team will slow down offensively. There's no reason to think that this team is all of a sudden going to go into a funk. It's not like we're going to run into all of these great pitching staffs all of a sudden. You know, there's a lot of teams that are still on that schedule that are last place caliber teams, right? And and maybe not so many great, you know, pitching staffs that we're going to see in modern day baseball. So uh, there's no reason to think that, A, the Braves can't be a 900-run scoring team, but they have an outside shot to be the modern-day era best run-producing team ever. And I never thought, look, I've talked about this before, that that 2003 team was the most ridiculous offense that the Braves had ever had. I mean, with Chipper, Andrew, and Sheffield, they hit over 100 homers, drove in over 400 runs, and scored about 400 runs. Like, that offense was just absurd how good Sheffield and Chipper were, and then Andrew thrown in the mix there. I think he was 30 and 100 that year. And then go look at the years that Marcus Giles and Raphael Fercal, I think he scored like 125 runs. I mean, again, they were just absurd numbers that that offense had put up. And obviously, Javi Lopez, with that breakout season where he hit 40 homers and drove in 100. But this offense may produce numbers that are better than that. As crazy as it is to think that this offense may even be better. And and really the offense has carried this team for this season. 
you know, early on, you know, you got some good pitching and, you know, again, you know, you had some of these rookies that were called up and this, then the other, but now this offense has really got it cranked up and, and you saw, I mean, it was bombs away in Cincinnati this weekend and look places like Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cleveland, those are ballparks. When the weather warms up balls, just fly out of those ballparks. Right. I mean, they just, you know, that great American ballpark is a bandbox. And when, when the weather warms up, balls just start flying out of there. Reds hit plenty of homers, but the Braves were just slugging their way through. And the Braves have been on a tear this particular month where they're averaging about seven runs a, a game in the month of June. You average seven runs a game, ain't many teams going to beat you. Ain't many teams that are going to, if you're averaging seven runs a game, ain't many teams that are going to outslug you eight to seven. And obviously with, even with what this pitching staff is with all the injuries and things that they've battled tough to imagine the Braves getting into any kind of funk, you know, as far as both their offense and their pitching staff giving up eight runs a game. But we talked about this on Friday that the NL East is over, that this is over for the division. And this is one of the big reasons why is that this offense is rolling right along and they're putting up monster numbers. Guys are having career years. Matt Olson's on pace to have a career year. You forget what his batting average and all that kind of stuff is, right? We focus on those kinds of things. But he's on pace for 50 homers and 120 RBI. Even guys like um, Austin Riley have not even broken out yet. And Michael Harris has not broken out yet offensively. You even factor with those two guys having not broken out and the missed games and things like that that the Braves offense has had, and the fact that they're on this kind of pace should give you a lot of hope and stuff. I mean, Austin Riley is a guy who can carry you for a week, 10 days, just on his back alone. He can get in one of those. And, and again, it's not like Riley's had bad numbers, but he hasn't been the Austin Riley that we've seen over the last couple of years. And Michael Harris, obviously, you know, has struggled at times. He's doing some good things offensively, but still, Again, this offense has got it rolling, and they are just beating people up right now. And that trend is not going to change, and that's going to be the story of this year. Let's see if the Braves can ultimately catch what that 2003 team did as far as the number of runs scored. All right, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel's America's number one sportsbook. And if you're a new customer to FanDuel, you can sign up today and claim your no-sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. So FanDuel is uh, safe, secure, super easy to use. And when you sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if that first bet doesn't win. If FanDuel lets you bet on everything from money lines to point spreads to how many homers Aaron Judge is going to hit and everything in between. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and claim your no-sweat first bet where if that first bet of yours doesn't win, you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets. FanDuel is the official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. So will this be the trend of what the Atlanta Hawks are looking at? So there was a lot of rumor and innuendo, as we like to say on the show, that the Atlanta Hawks were going to make a deal at the draft. 
And we heard DeAndre Hunter and the Indiana Pacers, you know, and supposedly that there was some talk about what was going to have to be given up from the Indiana side of things. But an interesting story has kind of come out here that the Dallas Mavericks, who we had heard this rumor being bantied about, that the number uh, 15 pick and Clint Capella were going to be involved in a deal with the Dallas Mavericks, okay? And, and we had heard this, that coming into draft night, that this could be a real possibility and, you know, ended up nothing happened and, and all this kind of stuff. But Mark Stein on his NBA podcast, it's called the Stein Line, I guess is what it is, the the, the subscription newsletter that he does and, and his podcast and everything like that. He said the Mavericks had a long dialogue with the Atlanta Hawks about a potential trade for Clint Capella says that the deal would have seen the two teams swap first-round picks, the Mavericks' 10th pick and the Hawks' 15th pick, with Capella heading to Dallas in the deal. Now, they said that Stein noted that the Hawks were only willing to send Capella to the Mavericks if Dallas sent Josh Green in the deal, which would have been a big-time loss for the Mavericks, uh, who's a squad that's trying to improve their defensive uh, presence. And it says Green enjoyed a breakout season this past year, appearing in 60 games, playing a career-high 26 minutes a night, averaging nine points, three boards, uh, almost two assists on 53.7 shooting and a 40.2% shooting behind the three-point line. And obviously, he's a guy that, you know, again, is one of these breakout candidates and this, that, and the other, and somebody that the Mavericks want to build around. But here's the thing. And this is going to be interesting to monitor going forward. Is this going to be that the Hawks are not going to settle for trading away players to not get anything in return? And I'm all for that mantra because we're not in rebuild mode. And, and this is this is actually a good sign in a lot of ways. Look, I've said last week that I think the Hawks are going to run this thing back. <clears throat> They're going to have... They're starting five in place, few of their bench pieces, maybe do some tweaks at the very end of their bench, but by and large, run this thing back. It's not going to be to blow this thing up and switch all the roster around and all this good kind of stuff that maybe we were kind of led to believe or maybe wishfully thought was going to happen. So what I like about this, though, is the fact that we're not going to give up one of our pieces for expiring contracts, you know, that that, you know, again, those guys can go away or we buy them out or whatever. You know, we're not in rebuild mode. We're in, we've got to get this roster right and full steam ahead with this with this roster. Now, again, you know, if we're not trying to get stay in the luxury tax and things like that, then you might get into some of those expiring contracts. So this gives me at least a little bit of hope in the idea that, Maybe we are going to stay in the luxury tax. We're not going to give up our pieces just to, for the sake of giving up pieces. You know, if we're not going to trade a, a DeAndre Hunter or a John Collins or a Clint Capella just for the sake of trading away somebody to get under the luxury tax. That gives me hope. And look, Capella, by and large, is a really good value. Yeah, he's a 20-plus million-dollar player. I think he's about $22 million on the cap or whatever like that. But when you factor in, look, he's half the cost of Rudy Gobert. He's an elite rebounder, a decent, you know, if not good, rim protector. 
and he and he can obviously be a double double machine on a nightly basis. Him and Trey Young have that lob working, and him and Trey a couple of years ago, you know, had the most field goals for a teammates, you know, in the NBA. So there's a lot of things to like about Capella. And I've said this before. Look, I want to see Capella stay around for one more year, just basically to give another year to Anyeka Kongwu before he takes over the starting position, right? At center. You know, it's a lot different starting 82 games as a starting center in the NBA than just coming off the bench and, you know, different moments, stuff like that. But the overall, the, the bigger overall point is that. We stuck to our guns. We weren't going to give up Capella just for the sake of giving him up, trying to get under the luxury tax, taking on expiring contracts, and all this kind of stuff, that we wanted a really good player in return. And that gives me a lot of hope that maybe this isn't all about the luxury tax. We're not going to give away pieces that, again, can be valuable to us. And obviously, guys that, you know, have contributed to what we've done the last couple of years, even, even if the results have not been as good, but guys that are components of what we want to do. And I hope that, you know, like I said, I, I think that they're going to run this thing back. And the hope is that Quinn Snyder can get everybody on page can get everybody on the same page, not just Trey and DeJounte Murray, but the idea of, being a good team in the regular season and all these different kinds of things that we hope that the coaching aspect of this comes through. But it is a good sign that we weren't going to make a deal just to make a deal. We weren't going to give away one of our pieces just to give away one of our pieces. It helps me feel better about where we're maybe going to be at with the luxury tax. It helps me feel better about the fact that we're trying to win now ourselves. You know, Dallas is in win now mode, right? With Kyrie and Luca and all these guys they got or whatever like that. Again, I know it's Kyrie, but you know we we call him Kyrie. But anyway, they're in win now mode as well. Well, guess what? We're in win now mode too. We're not going to give away our better pieces, and certainly Capella is a very valued piece for what he makes. He's a very good value in NBA circles, and we're not going to just give that away for the sake of giving it away. So hopefully that this trend will continue that, look, I would rather keep our pieces, even as inconsistent as they are, I would rather keep our pieces than just give them away for the sake of giving away, just to take expiring contracts, just to get under the luxury tax, just for the sake of trying to do some things financially that make more sense. I would rather keep our pieces, stay in the luxury tax, and even if we run it back, at least I'm running it back. You know, what do they say? The devil that you know is better than the devil you don't know. I don't want I don't want expiring contract guys. I want us to build a winning culture and a winning club here. And if we have to keep these pieces in place to do it because we're not giving things away, then let's do it. Then then let's keep this thing intact. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be the end all be all, but I would rather do that then we start having a slash payroll and get under some luxury tax threshold. All right, as you listen to Hitting Hard and make it your first listen, be sure to go in and leave us a comment that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we call them our everyday or so whatever platform that you're listening on, YouTube or what have you, let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. We thank you so much for being a part of our community and certainly 
being with us on this journey and this ride that we've taken you on for the last, what, about 14, 15 months now. So we thank you so much for all of that. But let us know that you're an everyday listener to the show. So has Eddie Rosario done enough to secure the left field spot? You know, we came into the season thinking that, okay, you know, can Rosario bounce back? Would Ozuna play a little bit of left field? And he did early on, right? And, you know, Rosario's missed 10 games this year. And, okay, you know, I mean, we got some guys that, you know, I mean, Hilliard and some of these guys that, you know, are going to be filling in. We made some trades and things like that for, you know, for some different pieces. But Rosario has quietly put together a pretty good year. You know, in 67 games, he's got 13 homers. He's hitting 275 with 35 runs and 37 RBI. So if you if you play a whole half of a season, and, and hopefully he can stay healthy and he's past the eye issues and all these different things, but certainly you talk about a guy, if he's 25 homers, 75 RBI, that's a nice little piece to put into the mix of what we're going to be. And, and certainly that's, that's more than... I'll be honest with you, that's more than probably what I thought Rosario would give us in left field. It it felt like that he was going to be a guy that was going to be a platoon out there in left field and and certainly a guy who was going to just play a limited role, but he's actually put together quite a nice season. And and believe it or not, for all for what Rosario has done, he's actually hit left, albeit it's a very small sample size that he's got. I think it's 29 plate appearances or whatever like that, but he's actually hit lefties pretty well. He's hit almost 400 against left-handed pitching. So again, it's one of those crazy things where, okay, Rosario was, you know, he's another guy that's probably benefiting from what we do. You know, look at his left-handed pitching numbers, 414 with a 439 on base, 759 slugging. It's only been 29 at bats, 30 plate appearances, 29 at bats, but he's got 12 hits, three homers, and six RBI against lefties, which surprises me because, again, we thought maybe, okay, he would be just a platoon kind of guy. But he's had a big June. Look at his June. Eight homers, 19 RBI in 18 games that he's played, hitting 357 with a 444 on base and a 771 slugging percentage. So coming off of the heels of the big month of May that Marcelo Zuna has, now Rosario's helping to carry this team through the month of June. And he's responded. And look, again, uh, maybe this is a situation where we don't have to go out and spend capital on trying to find another left fielder. Maybe we don't have to spend, you know, in the marketplace to try to find a guy who can come in and hit lefties and things like that. Rosario's done a nice job this year. He's been a he's been a big part of why we and he's had some clutch moments and stuff. And he's a guy that's hit, you know, kind of in that middle to bottom third of the order and had a nice productive year. And when you factor in that he's missed 10 games this season, that he's had only 67 games played this season, his numbers are really are, are really good for what this club is doing. And obviously. It's all part of this offensive plan that we've had. Again, 
Riley benefiting and Rosario benefiting and Travis Darno benefiting and Sean Murphy getting out of Oakland Alameda Coliseum and having actual guys on base in front. Like everybody's benefiting in this lineup. And Rosario is one of those guys that when we talk about the idea of why is this lineup so good, it's because of guys, it's because of the Ozunas and the Rosarios and such and the Orlando Arcias. Now, again, I know Ronnie's a great player. I know Matt Olson's going to be a masher. I know Austin Riley's a masher. Sean Murphy was a guy who was a pretty good offensive player, but playing in that ballpark just deadened his numbers. I know all those things. Like, I, 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 Ozzy's a great player. I mean, again, I know all this kind of stuff. But we didn't know what Ozuna, Arcia, Rosario, what those guys were going to give us. And even with Michael Harris's struggles, and even with, you know, Austin Riley maybe not having his best season, over the last three years, Rosario's done a really nice job. And maybe it's a situation where he can play left field. Now, again, you'd certainly like to have some backup left fielders and, and some, some guys, you know, Rosario has made some nice catches out in left field, but he's not a defensive whiz. I mean, he's made some really nice plays out in left field, but he's not a defensive whiz. He's not a speed guy. So, you know, you, again, if you're picking up somebody, it's probably not because they're looking to start every day. I think Rosario has done enough that tells you that, okay, he can be our starting left fielder moving forward. We, we can start him in left, and he can even, you know, hold his own against left-handed pitching. I mean, when you think about the fact that he's hitting 400, even if it's only 29 uh, at-bats that he's had, you know, 30 plate appearances. Brother, if, if you're, I mean, again, that could have been 091 against left-handed pitching. But Rosario's held his own, and he's kind of gotten back in form, and hopefully we're past all the eye issues and all these different things for Rosario. But I think he's done a really good job out in left field, and he's made some nice defensive plays. And, and again, he's held his own against left-handed pitching. Probably all the things that we wondered about, whether or not he could sustain over that, I say give Rosario the job unless it falls completely off the cliff and off a table or what have you. Seems like Rosario has done enough to kind of secure that spot. And now the Braves don't have to start shopping and looking for left fielders. Yeah, you can add a piece here, this, that, and the other, but it's not like you're having to find a guy to come in and play every single day out in left field because Rosario has done enough to kind of turn that momentum around. Obviously with the eye issues last year and the surgery, and all this good kind of stuff. It was a lost year for Rosario coming off of the, you know, NLCS MVP and all that good kind of stuff. But this has been a nice bounce back year for Rosario. I think he's done enough to win the starting left field job and keep that job moving forward. Maybe you tweak a little bit, but certainly now the Braves can focus on upgrading their staff, upgrading their bullpen and focus more on those kinds of things to round this team out. All right, well, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard your first listen. Be sure to go in and let us know on whatever podcast platform that you listen on that you're an everyday listener to the program. When I call them our everyday or so, we thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community and certainly being a part of uh, our show five days a week. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app. And give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chakri, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members. 
You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.